Well, it's really been a source of encouragement to me and to many of our staff this year to have uh, Mark Spanzel and Steve Ballantyne and their team to put an emphasis on prayer for us as a student body, for us as a college, and just to remind you that from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., right before chapel every day that we have chapel, a group of people are meeting to pray about not only chapel but also about what is going on in our student body. And I'm just, it is just really an encouragement to see so many people committed to doing that this year. Um, at the same time, because we, I think, have committed ourselves to engage ourselves in spiritual battle, it is definitely stirring up the opposition uh, in our estimation sooner than we normally experience at the college. Generally, about October, November, Betty and I have a pretty much you can almost mark it on our calendar that this is going to be the time that we're going to start seeing some issues of sin on the campus uh, raise their ugly head and we're going to see some spiritual opposition to what we're trying to do for God uh, start kind of rearing itself up and fighting us. Um, this year, that started sooner. And we are already involved in some very, very significant issues with some of the students that are here at the college. And I just think that that's got to be because of the commitment that we've had already this year to really seek the face of God and to see him work on our campus. And the more we're willing to do that and the more we engage ourselves in that, I think the more attention that we're going to gain from the adversary, Satan, and the more opposition we're going to feel, and even sooner than we normally feel it. This morning, what I'd like to do before we get started, and since this is kind of a, uh, a chapel that uh, we can kind of do some different things, and I appreciate Christy and Greg and Brian and their participation this morning. I would like for all of us to participate in this manner. I'd like for us to take five minutes. We're just a little ahead of time anyhow. I want to take five minutes, and I want you to turn around and find one, two, three people and just share one thing that you would like for them to pray with you about today, this morning, and then also throughout the rest of the week. One thing from your life. Don't share about your roommate or someone that you know, but just one thing that you would like for them to carry with you as a part of your spiritual burden in the Lord. So let's do that. I would like for you to do that now before we get started in our message this morning. Turn around, find one, two, three people and share with them one thing and you'll, I'll give you five minutes and then I'm going to come and close us in prayer and we'll get started this morning. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you again for who you are and uh, all that you are to us. Lord, we certainly sense every day, if not every hour, our utter dependence upon you. Lord, we see it in our own lives. We see it in the, the struggle with sin uh, among those around us. And Lord, it is our prayer that you will continue to uphold us as you have promised that you will do. And Lord, we seek for that. We seek for your involvement in our lives. We request it. We desire it. With a passion, we cling to it. Lord, because we know that the task that you have called us to is impossible without you working in us and through us. God, help us to be people who are ambassadors of your kingdom, ambassadors of your reign and rule in our lives. Lord, help us to be spokesmen for you, telling others about your love and mercy and forgiveness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just by kind of a way of announcement, last night uh, someone handed me a handbook of another college in the United States, one that I won't mention. In fact, I thought about reading the the letter from the president that's the first page in this handbook, but the letter, the significant part is that the letter concluded by saying, congratulations, you are now part of the happiest student body in the country. And, uh, and I know a lot of people who went to this college and some people who still go to this college, and, and I really don't think that uh, these students would 
quote or attest to that fact, knowing the college the way I do and the way some of these students have told me about it. The other thing is I know that these students certainly had no opportunity, neither did this president who wrote the letter, had an opportunity to go to making mother proud. I mean, there's no way that you could see that and think that you're not a part of the happiest and funnest student body in, the, in America. Tonight, the tables are turned, and the gals have an opportunity to show us their ingenuity, their creativity. Not only is it a lot of fun, it's a great opportunity for a kind of camaraderie and teamwork, and the prizes aren't bad either. This year, we have some phenomenal prizes for you as a wing and for individuals who are decorating the room. Uh, it's just a blast. And so tonight, Monday night, I really regret that I was not able to be on campus, um, but tonight, Betty and Rob and I will be coming around with our judging pads and pencils evaluating the gals' dorm, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's a, that is one of my favorite things of the year. Well, this morning, what I'd like you to do in the time that we have left is to turn to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to reread a passage that was already read for you. If you'll follow along with me in your Bible, I'm going to reread Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which, the, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who walk by this rule, peace, mercy be unto them and unto the Israel of God. In these verses in the end of the book of Galatians, Paul speaks, obviously, of the death of the Son of God on the cross. He is finishing his letter that he began to the Galatian believers. And before he is done, he's kind of summarizing all that he has written to this point. The result of his own preaching and teaching is this church. These are his offspring. They are his children in the faith. And so he obviously has a very special place for them in his heart, a very special concern for them. But certain teachers, in addition to Paul being an influence in their lives, certain other teachers, teachers that he calls false teachers, have crept into this congregation this fellowship. And because they have kind of encroached in and imposed themselves upon this church, they have brought with them a false doctrine, a false teaching, leading these believers in a direction that Paul is very, very concerned about. They taught while it's okay, and this is, I wrote this down because I wanted to be very clear on what it is that they, the problem was in this church. They taught that while it's okay to believe in the gospel, they were not challenging the gospel itself and the major tenets of it. But if you really want to experience genuine spirituality, if you want to be truly blessed of God, then you must do certain things. That was the essence of the error that Paul was addressing in the book of Galatians. It wasn't that the rudiments of the gospel itself were being denied, but there was something added to the end of it, as sort of an addendum, as sort of a continuation of what Paul had taught them. Look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul addresses this. He says, If it was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to the bondage of slavery, to the yoke of slavery. Paul is saying to them, you are God's child. Through the gospel and its impact in your life, you have entered into a new realm, into the kingdom of God. And now what is happening because of the influence of these false teachers is as though you are entering back into a realm of living that you were delivered out of. And why are you doing that? These false teachers are drawing you in that direction. Back again in... in Chapter 6, verse 12, again, look at that again. He says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh 
It is something that is happening, not because they are necessarily doing it naturally, because they thought to do it, but because there are teachers that are encouraging them in a certain direction. And what is the lie? What is the lie that they are teaching these people? What is it that Paul is so concerned about that he writes an entire book on the subject? And he is so concerned about that when he comes to the end of the book, he goes into the subject once, whoops, excuse me, once more. I knew this was a mistake. I mean, to have the microphone stand right in front of me. Uh, once more, what is, the, what is the error? What is the lie that is being taught? Well, this is it, and I think it's critical that you and I understand the role that it played in these believers' lives so that we will be insulated against it in our own lives. And this is the lie. In order to be accepted, to be loved by God, I must gain approval from certain others by the way that I live. Now, that's the lie in a nutshell. That's a paraphrase of the lie. Listen to it again. In order to be accepted, in order to be loved, I must gain approval from certain others by the way that I live. That's what we're, that was what was being taught the Galatian believers. It wasn't that they were attacking the gospel itself and denying the deity of Jesus Christ. That wasn't a problem. It wasn't that they were denying the resurrection itself. What they were denying is that through the cross and through the resurrection that these people genuinely and completely found acceptance with God. And because of that, these false believers were able to encourage them in any direction they wanted. They were very easily moved by false teaching because they were open to doing anything that they could possibly do to please their Lord. Paul says that the object or the obstacle, rather, to genuine spirituality is this line. If you're to really know the Lord, if you're to be a person that genuinely experiences what it means to live in the fullness of joy with your Lord, you've got to understand that you don't have to live in a way to gain God's acceptance and God's love and God's approval. You'll excuse me. Not only the mic a problem, but the jacket's a problem. I thought you would break into an applause, but it's okay. Paul had... The interesting thing about this lie is that Paul had his own bout with it. Paul, before he came to know the Lord, was someone that was captivated, enslaved by the idea that I must live in a certain way to be loved. I must live in a certain way to be accepted. And he gave his entire life to that. And it wasn't just his acceptance with people and being loved by people that he was concerned about. He really believed that if I am to be accepted and loved by God, I must live and function in a certain way. If God is to bless me, I must do this. It's it's the worst of all lies because it's a form of almost manipulating divine manipulation. It's almost like we're telling God that he must function in a certain way because of the way we live. Do you understand that? That's what Paul thought. And you see that in Philippians chapter 3. Turn there just very quickly. It's a very familiar passage. But Paul was very much given and committed to this belief. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he describes himself prior to coming to Jesus Christ. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, so forth and so on. Paul goes on to explain that there was a time in my life that I really found great comfort in who I was and what I did. And that I looked to that as the basis of being accepted by God and loved by God. That's what drove me. That's what guided me. That's what defined my religion, my, Christ, my understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. That was also what drove me in my relationship with people. I really believed that the way that I would be accepted by people and loved by people around me who mattered, those that I desired to be loved by, was to live in a certain way. And that completely dominated all that I was and all that I did. But it wasn't just Paul that had a struggle with this. It wasn't just Paul that was 
a person who was a victim of this kind of lie, it was also a problem that we see among the other believers in the New Testament. For example, in Corinth, a very familiar passage again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read that the Corinthians really put great stock in who they were, their strength, their wisdom, their abilities, their talents, their station in life by the standards of the world, their nobility of birth. All of these things were issues that the Corinthian believers took pride in and boasted in. They were having the same struggle with the lie that Paul did. They were convinced that what really matters to me is to be accepted, to not be rejected, but to be loved, not to be hated. And the way to do that is to be a kind of a certain kind of person and to live in a certain kind of way. And Paul had to address the same lie to them. It wasn't just something that was in Corinth. It was also something in Colossians. Turn again to Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, because I want you to see this. The Colossian believers struggle with the same issue. In verse 20, Paul writes to them, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world again, do you submit yourselves to decrees? Paul is saying to them, it makes sense almost that an unbeliever would live this way, right? I mean, before you come to know Christ and before you are saved and before you have a personal relationship with Jesus, on what other basis do you find love and acceptance and approval? Well, it can't be because of who you are in the Lord. It can't be because of your relationship with Christ. It can't be because of the work on the cross. It really, the only way that you can gain approval and acceptance and love is through what? Through who you are and what you do. And Paul said that's sort of natural. It's sort of normal for the world to be that way. And when you look around you, that's exactly what the world is dominated by. I mean, last night I was sitting here reading a bunch of books and uh, on my little coffee table and flipped onto television, was looking through the news, trying to find an update on what is going on in Kauai because we have some friends there. And in flipping through the news and watching the television and the commercials, it's amazing to me, every single thing on the television is somehow related to you being a certain type of person so that you'll get respect, you'll get acceptance that you'll be admired, you'll be loved. Isn't, isn't that amazing? I mean, it's almost every single thing on there. If you want to be loved and accepted, you must have this kind of car. You must have this kind of body. You must have this kind of teeth. You must have this kind of hairdo. You must have this kind of friends. You must go to this place for on vacation. I mean, everything. You must wear these kind of clothes. Every single thing that you watch virtually that's coming out of the world is, is focused on trying to feed the great lie that if you're to be accepted in love, you have to be and do certain things. And there was an article yesterday in the L.A. Times, about, or I think it was the day before yesterday, about what is going on in Japan right now among young children, that they have, there's a real epidemic of ulcers. Did you read that? Really struggling. I mean, young children, my children's ages, in elementary school, are having, have ulcers. And the reason they have these ulcers is because they're so driven by their culture and by their families to perform. That is the height of honor. That is the goal in life, is to get accepted in a particular school, a particular prep school or a college in, in order to have a certain vocation. And that pressure placed upon these young children is something that they can't handle, and it results in ulcers. It's all around us. The lie of the world is you will be loved if you perform. You will be accepted if you do. But the thing that Paul is addressing is not really the problem that the world has with that. I mean, he acknowledges that. I mean, what else can they do? But what Paul is saying is, why is it as Christians are we falling prey to this lie? Why is it, he says to the Galatian believers, did you begin in the spirit and are you now going to proceed in the flesh? 
And what he is saying to them, why is it that you understand the teaching of the cross and the gospel of what it means to be united in Christ and to be fully accepted by him because of the work of the Lord? And yet now, having entered into the kingdom of God, you're going back as if you've entered back into the world and are playing by the rules, the world's rules. And that's what they are doing. The best illustration I think I've heard of this is an illustration that a guy gave in a book that is titled The Cross. And this author said that when you come to know the Lord, it is like a cow. I mean, not that there's an analogy between us and a cow, but there's a, there's a, it's a, like a cow who's in a field, a pasture where there are two fields separated by a fence. And when you get saved and you, and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's as though as a cow you jump over or are removed by the farmer from one field to the next that is separated by the fence. And while your former field is no longer what holds you in bondage. It doesn't have any dominion over you, over you. It has no claims over you. It has no right to hold you in. The former field is still there, isn't it? And he said, sometimes as Christians, what we do, we're in this new field and the former field has no claims to us whatsoever. But yet we walk up to the fence. We stick our nose over the fence and smell the, the air and smell the aroma of the grass that's in our former field. And sometimes we stick our head through the fence even though we can't get back over the fence, even if we wanted to. But we stick our nose through the fence and eat of the grass of a former field. He says, as though as post-Christ people, we want to live according to pre-Christ rules. That's what this author said. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing. He said, we have entered into a post-Christ world, a post-crossed world, the kingdom of God, where our acceptance is based upon the work of the cross, but yet we are continuing to, continuing to struggle with pre-Christ rules of the world. And that was Paul's message to the Corinthians. And that was Paul's message to the Colossians as well. The world is filled with people who demand that we please them in exchange for their approval and acceptance. And this approval addiction was something that, pro, that not only that, again, Paul struggled with, not only that the New Testament believers struggle with, but I think it's something that is a major, major, major struggle for us. And you say, well, Dave, that's, you're not talking to me this morning. You're talking to somebody next to me. I'm not one who has a struggle with being approved and living my life under the approval of men and living my life to try to gain approval of God. That's not something I struggle with. It's something maybe my roommate struggles with, but not me. But let me give you some symptoms of this. If you're a person who has not yet fully realized and accepted the work of the cross in your life and are still playing by the world's rules of acceptance, this is sort of what it looks like. And we see this all the time. I see it in my own life all the time. Listen to some of the symptoms. You're a person who is very committed to joining things. Right? Sometimes being driven by the world's rules of acceptance isn't necessarily going to flesh itself out in utter wickedness. Sometimes it fleshes itself out in some what seemingly is an innocent thing. You're a joiner of things. You like to join clubs. You like to join teams. You like to join movements. You like to join prayer groups. You like, but you're joining things all the time. In fact, you're all, it's almost like a joining compulsion that you have. And you know why that is there? Because it is so incredibly important to you that you find yourself among people who accept you and who somehow affirm you and communicate to you that you are loved and that you are someone that they value. Another thing that we see is that, that is the opposite of something innocent is sometimes if you're driven by the desire to be loved and accepted by people, it leads you into some great paths of immorality, such as using drugs or abusing alcohol or even smoking. It's just amazing to me that how many people that I've talked to who drink 
say it's not that I like the alcohol. It's just that I like what it does for me, not only physically, but socially. It gains me friends. And if I drink and if I smoke and if I do these kinds of things, if I dip snuff, if I chew, if I do these things, then automatically there's this little group that I'm going to be identified with. And that's very, very important to me. It also fleshes itself out as a symptom of, of illicit sexual behavior. It is something that guys and gals struggle with in their relationship with the opposite sex. There is such a desire to have someone love me and to communicate to me that I am accepted by them, that I'm willing to compromise myself physically just to have that experience. It's also something that fleshes itself out in superficial relationships. You say, well, why is that? Because if you're the kind of person who is, who really is driven by the desire and the need to be accepted by people in order to prove your own value and worth, then you obviously have a tendency to not let people know who you really are, right? Because deep down, all of us know that we're not really worth a whole lot in ourselves. And if somebody had entrance into my thought life, if somebody had entrance into my dorm room when nobody else is around, if somebody had entrance into my private world, I am so sure that they would reject me. They would turn away from me. And so a lot of what is behind just superficiality, just the kind of person that is so, you know this person, this kind of the, the party Jane kind of person. You know, it's always got people around them, always doing something. If you want a good time, this person always knows the place to go. If you want to have somebody that, that is creative about an activity, this is the person to talk to. Because they are so enslaved by the desire for people to love them and accept them that they're afraid to let anybody really see who they are. So they substitute genuine relationships for activity and busyness and partying and laughter and fun and going all the time. Another way that it fleshes itself out is obviously the fear of rejection. A person who is who has constantly got on their mind, if I do this in class, if I get up and give a report, if I volunteer for this activity, if I take this responsibility, it will eat at me, it will gnaw at me the entire time that I possibly might fail. Another way is pride. And the reason that pride is something that is the result of a desire to be accepted is because a proud person is one that is unwilling to admit they're wrong. And if a person deeply desires to be accepted, then admitting you're wrong is something that's very hard to do, isn't it? It's something that you're unwilling to do and unwilling for people to see. Because if they see that I'm wrong and see that I made a mistake here, then, then again, that throws me into the possibility of not being accepted and loved by them. The other thing that we see in Scripture that I've already mentioned about what is happening in Galatia is that a person who is driven by this is someone who's easily manipulated. Someone that's easily sold something. Someone who's easily convinced to do something. And that's obvious, isn't it? If you're so fearful that someone will reject you and so fearful that someone won't love you and accept you, then obviously you're an easily manipulated person. And that, that is a sad situation. It is so sad when we sit down with students and talk to them about the sin that they're involved in and know that in their heart they know that what they did was wrong. They know that what they're doing and what they're engaging in is something that is not coming out of really their understanding of what it means to walk with the Lord. They're very clear on it. It's sin. Dave, I know it's sin. I know I shouldn't have done it. I know I shouldn't have been there. But why did you do it? 
Well, because I was in the car and everybody was kind of talking about it and everybody kind of decided and I was sitting there all by myself and I didn't want to speak up. I didn't want to be rejected. I didn't want to be the one that would be looked down upon. I wanted them to like me. And because of all those things, it was easy for them to manipulate me. And I ended up doing it. It's a sad picture, isn't it? The person who has driven by the desire and the need to be loved by people is a person who is a very sad individual indeed. And that's why Paul addressed it in Galatians. He said, the problem isn't that I need to give you the gospel and to teach you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The problem is that you don't understand the implications of the cross. You don't understand that you've been freed from the issues of approval and acceptance and love. Many of us are hindered from experiencing growth and genuine Christ-likeness because we have believed the lie that was given to the Galatian believers. So what is the solution? The solution is also something Paul offers in Galatians chapter 6. And the solution to being this kind of person that is easily manipulated, that is a person who is very proud, a person who is easily drawn in a sinful direction, a person who is practicing sexually immoral immoral activities because of their friends, a person who is fearful of admitting they're wrong, the answer to all of that is very simple. And Paul gives it to the Galatians. He says, what you need to understand is that in the cross, God fully accepted you. Now, this is the truth. Listen to the, the remedy to the lie. Paul says this. Because of the cross, nothing that you do or leave undone can cause God to stop loving you. That is profound. Listen to it. Nothing that you do or leave undone can cause God to stop loving you. Paul comes to the Galatians and he says, you know what I boast in? I boast in the cross. And you know why I boast in the cross? In verse 14 of chapter 6, he said, because it is in the cross that I have been separated from the world's rules of living. I no longer am driven and enslaved by a desire to be accepted by God or anyone else. Because I know that because of the work of Christ in the cross and because of my identification with him through salvation, I am pleasing to God. And nothing that I do, let me say it one more time. Nothing that I do or leave undone can cause God to stop loving me. Do you understand how critical that is for your understanding and your progress in spiritual growth? That is so critical. Because if you sit down like I have and start evaluating why it is that you do what you do, why why is it that I get involved in a mission team? Why is it that I get involved in, in worship? Why is it that I'm faithful in class and don't lie and don't cheat? Sadly enough, a lot of times it's because we've entered back into the world's rules, isn't it? Because we want to be accepted by God. And we want God to bless us. And so if God's going to bless us, then we know that we've got to do certain things, right? I mean, that's, that's a given. That's what we learned growing up, and that's what we've learned that we works in the Christian life, or we've been taught it works in the Christian life, or we've assumed it works in the Christian life, and we function that way. You do the same thing I do. When I'm getting ready to come in to speak in chapel, what do I do? Well, I'm thinking, okay, there are, there are certain good things I should do so that God will bless me when I speak, right? I should pray, but I should pray longer than I normally pray, right? 
I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, figuring this out. Okay, I'm going to speak in chapel, so I've got, I want to pray before I speak. Because I know that, obviously, I've got to do certain things to be blessed. That's what I'm thinking. So I've got to pray, but not just pray, but I've got to pray longer. And then I've got, there are certain things I can't do the day before I speak, or certainly the morning before I speak. And so whatever those little idiosyncrasies are that I struggle with in my thought life or in my, the sin issues of my life, if there's any day that I will have victory over them, it is the morning and the day before I get up and speak in chapel. Right? I mean, I am, I am the holiest before I speak. Because I'm thinking the same way that Paul says the Galatians were thinking. I'm thinking if God's going to love me, if God's going to bless me, then I've got to be this kind of person. I've got to do these kinds of things. Now, you do the same thing. And I know you do because I, I don't take tests any longer. I don't play on ball teams any longer, but I used to. I don't date any longer except one person, my wife, but I used to date. And I've tried to find out if I could get her to say yes on a date. You do the same things. The things that are important to you, you do the same thing. Right before it occurs or right before you get involved in it, you're the holiest person on this campus. It is amazing how the spiritual level of this campus goes up right before finals. Just incredible. Why is that? Because we're thinking the same way, you and I. We've been influenced by the world's rules and we continue to bring that with us into our new pasture. We think, well... God, if I'm going to be blessed by you, if I'm going to be loved by you, I've got to do certain things so you'll do it. And sadly, we go on from that. And then when it doesn't happen and God doesn't bless us and we don't get the date and we don't win the game and we don't pass the test, sometimes the result is that we wonder whether or not God is really who he said he is. It's a serious lie. And Paul says the answer to it is in the cross. No matter what we do or what we leave undone, God cannot stop loving us. Now listen to this. Because Christ gave his life for me, I am loved, I am fully pleasing, I am totally forgiven, I am accepted and complete in Christ. That is Paul's message to the Galatians. I am loved, I am fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted and complete in Christ. Paul's message to them is, as long as you do not understand this truth in the cross, As long as you fall prey to the false teaching of the world, you will find yourself driven in sinful directions. And you'll be driven in those directions because of the energy of acceptance. And that acceptance comes from performing in a certain way. On the one hand, it leads you into sin, and in a religious way, it leads you into what? Legalism. Manipulation of God. Paul said this is a key to your spiritual growth. I am loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ. That's what Paul said. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. By the death of Christ on the cross, I have been reconciled with God. I have peace with God. I am fully acceptable in His presence. I am fully loved by Him. What an incredible reality. And what a significant truth as it relates to our spiritual growth. The second thing Paul says, not only do you realize that you're loved and fully pleasing, but you also can stop requiring the approval of others. In 1 Corinthians, and I don't have you turned there because of time, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's interesting that Paul says, you know, there was a time when I lived my life according to the rules that others placed upon me, that I desired to be approved by them and even desired to find approval within myself. And then Paul says, and then because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, that is no longer an issue with me. And he says that to the Corinthian believers who were struggling with this same lie. 
He says, I know that I don't have to gain someone else's approval now. I know that I don't even have to gain my own approval. And I can stop the approval addiction because of what has happened to me because of the work of Christ on the cross. The Lord, our Lord, in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, said the same thing to the disciples when he sent them out. Remember, he sent the, two, the 70 out in the beginning of chapter of chapter 10. And as they came back and they were giving our Lord a report of what they had done and the ministry that they had been involved in, what was it that they were proud of? What did they share? They were sharing all the things that they'd accomplished. And the Lord turns to them and says, don't glory in the fact that the demons submit to you. Don't relish in the fact that you were able to accomplish great things. But rather, rejoice in what? That your name is written in heaven. Christ is saying to them, wait a second. The issue of being a Christian and the issue of serving God and, and being involved in ministry isn't so you can come back and gain brownie points with Jesus. And that you can gain His approval and His love and His acceptance. He said, that's already happened. Your name is written in heaven. And there is no reason for you to serve out of a motive to find God, to find God's love for you. So the, the solution to the problem that Paul was addressing was found in the cross. It was found in a way that it released him and others from the addiction of trying to seek others' approvals. It released him from the addiction of trying to give your life to accomplishment so you could tell others about it. And then lastly, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says to the Corinthians again in his second letter. One last time, he said, Christ died for us that they who live, meaning his children, should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Paul repeats to the Corinthian believers in the second letter. That you need to understand that when you identify with Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, the rules changed. And you're no longer living according to the standards of the world. You're no longer living according to the rules of the flesh. You're no longer living according to yourselves or unto yourselves. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is stop doing what the world has always asked you to do. And that is to gain love and approval by the way you perform. That is unnecessary. In preparing for this, I, I sat down and tried to calculate how much time I spend in a given day thinking and acting in a way so as to gain somebody's approval. You ever, let me challenge you to do that. Sit down and just think to yourself, how much of what I did yesterday, how much of what I thought and how much of what I did was spent in order to get someone's approval? Someone to like me, someone to accept me, someone to think highly of me. Do you realize how utterly worthless that is? How unchristlike that is? And what's even worse is not only to do it so that we can like each other, but to do that kind of thing so that we can gain God's love. How unchristlike that is. How sub-Christian that is. How pre-Christ that is, Paul says. How much, how much like the world that is to think that somehow God's going to love you more if you live better. He said it won't happen. So you're left with, okay, David, that's not why I do it. I mean, I've been doing it for this reason all the time. I mean, that's the reason I serve. That's the reason I pray. If I don't do it to get God to love me, if I don't do it to get God to accept me, if I don't get it, do it to have people around me love and accept me, then why do I live in a holy fashion? Well, the Scriptures are very clear. There's two reasons. One, 
because God tells us to do it, right? Because it's obedience. We don't do it to gain God's favor. We do it because He asks us to do it. He commands us to do it. The second reason is gratitude. Sometimes the Scriptures will describe the same thing as love. If you love me, keep my commandments. The reason that we live and seek after holiness is because God called us to do that. The reason that we shy shy away from lying and stealing and shy away and move away from adultery and fornication is not because it gains God's favor. It's because God commanded us to not do that. But we also do it out out of the motive of gratitude and thanksgiving. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, the passage that we read on the, on the slide projector this morning, at the end of that passage, Peter says to the people that he is addressing, that if you are not growing in the Lord, and that's what he describes in those first few verses in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, if you're not growing in the Lord, then what have you failed in doing? You have failed to realize that your sins are forgiven. What Peter says to them is the motive for spiritual growth is gratitude. When you and I sit down and contemplate who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf in the cross, that solicits within the regenerate heart a passion of gratitude and thanksgiving. And it is out of a, out of a heart of gratitude and out of a heart that desires to obey God that we serve Him. That's Paul's message to the Galatians. And that's the great lie that you and I have to contend with. You and I are loved, fully accepted, fully pleasing to God. And nothing that you do or leave undone will cause God to stop loving you. Isn't that, that's just incredible. Repeat that with me. Nothing that I do or nothing that I leave undone will cause God to stop loving me. Say it with me. Nothing that I do or leave undone will cause God to stop loving you. Somewhere today, somewhere this week, spend time in the presence of the Lord contemplating that reality. It is the key to your spiritual growth. It is the key to your spiritual life. It is also the key for you to have victory over sin that you struggle with. Let's pray together.